Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hello and welcome to The Vergecast, the flagship podcast of integrating apps into 5G, a plan that totally worked, and now we live in a utopia of robot surgery and video conferencing. <laughs> David, what's utopia like? We're the flagship podcast of all of that. Yeah, the whole thing. <laughs> it's, it's a lot to be the flagship podcast of. <laughs> it's a big concept. There's not a lot of competition in the space, and that's that's business, baby. You got to find, you got to find your, your niche. Uh, I'm your friend, Eli. David Pierce is here. Hi. I, I too am integrated into 5G. <laughs> Alex Kranz is here. Alex is in San Francisco. Yeah. I'm in San Francisco wondering like who isn't integrated into 5G at this point. Come on guys, get it together. I saw in one of the trade publications, I saw a headline that was like the hottest thing in 5G isn't public 5G networks. And then what is it? It's private 5G. Like obviously the other things. Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so they've they've given up on us, the lowly public, and your private 5G network for warehouse operations is where the money is. And I just want to go back in time and like show people that headline in meetings. Like <laughs> you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> the hottest thing in public 5G is still slightly faster Netflix downloads in the airport before you get on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't bad. It's like I don't hate it. It's something. But we could have just we could have just fixed the Wi-Fi networks in the airport. I think we would have gotten There's there. that. Uh, anyway, this is not the flagship podcast of any of that. Although I promise you, there will be a slight amount of telecom five G dunking in this episode of the Vergecast. That's what we do here. every episode. Yeah, <laughs> as is our right. A lot to talk about this week. A bunch of streaming news this week. Slack had a redesign. We have some reader emails, which are always fun. Uh, there's some. CarPlay news to get into. Got a Mr. Beast update. There's just like a lot going on, like a like a summer grab bag. But like we did last week, we want to begin by just getting the Elon news out of the way. We we know you like it, even though you you tell us you don't like it. I don't know how to describe <laughs> this exact phenomenon. You tell us loudly you hate it in the comments of the post that you have clicked on, read to the bottom, and then left comments <laughs> on. It is. It is a weird dynamic, but we know you know you want it. So, David, can you just give us quickly all of the Elon news this week that's worth talking about? Sure. Okay. Here, here is everything I've compiled that has happened this week that matters. Uh, 
All right, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> How's that? That helped. Everybody feel good. It's beautiful. That's all the okay. news in the world of Elon that is actually worth noting this week. <laughs> Just a dull roar of noise. Uh, and that's where we are this week with Elon. So that's good. The only actual Elon thing I will say is that Casey Newton wrote a very good issue of Platformer that we also ran on The Verge about how we talk about Elon that I thought was very good and very instructive. And people should go read that. Yeah, it's on the site. It's on Platformer. Go read it. Casey's great. Okay. Let's talk about some national news. We've been sort of talking about this moment in streaming, the two strikes that are going on, the interlocking strikes between the writers and the actors. Bob Iger had gave an interview to CNBC a while ago that set everything astray. Then there was some news that said the writers are coming back to the table at the studios. Disney had earnings, which were really revealing. Alex, what is going on in the world of streaming? Well, I think the big thing is Disney's hike in the price of Hulu and Disney Plus, but only the ad-free version. So if you're already paying $7.99 a month for the ads, you're fine. Keep enjoying all of those beautiful ads. If you were like me, trying to avoid the ads, the prices have gone up. Disney Plus is now going to cost $13.99, and then Hulu, no ads, is going to cost $17.99. But if you want to keep both, you can just pay $19.99. Oh, boy. And I think the streamers were looking out in the world and they were thinking, okay, how can we make this pricing scheme make sense? And they just looked to like cell phone providers. <laughs> like that's my best guess. Cause it's just like hot, confusing garbage. Can I just say there's a table in the story we wrote about the price hike that lays out the different prices that you can pay for Disney's various streaming services. And it is like, deranged how complicated this is. If you want Disney Plus, there's two options. If you want Hulu, there's four options, including one that is an ESPN Plus with Hulu add-on, which I guess is also Hulu. If you want ESPN Plus, there's three other ones. If you want bundle offerings, there's three other ones. And if you just want Hulu with Plus Live TV, there's two other ones. So basically you have like 400,000 different ways to get all of Disney's content. But it's abundantly clear, Alex, correct me if I'm wrong, that the thing Disney would really like you to do is pay $7.99 and watch ads. Yeah, because why have a streaming service when you can just have a couple of cable channels where you don't have to deal with cable carriers? Like, if I'm if I'm a business person, that makes a lot of sense to me. If I'm a person who wants anything to be nice and effortless and work smoothly, it makes no sense. But But like the business case makes a lot of sense, and I hate it because it makes so much sense. But yeah, we're just kind of like back to cable again. Yeah. But we have to do it all ourselves, which is, I mean, that was the point, right? Like that was, that was, that was the initial promise of this all, right? Like we were going to cut our cables and then we were going to be really happy um, because we could just choose and I would never have to pay for ESPN again. What I'm learning now in my old age is that by making everyone pay for everything, we subsidized a lot of the niche stuff. Yeah. So everyone that was forced to pay for ESPN that made them a lot of money, just a, a lot of money that they could then subsidize a lot of stuff with. Like the Disney Channel. <laughs> right. And then when you break it all up and you say, everyone pay for exactly what you want, it turns out like- That's expensive. Everyone will pay for exactly what they want and everything will make smaller. Like the pie will stay the same size, but it will have more slices and that's not great. And so it's very clear. They're trying to get back to, okay, you pay for access to this. The advertisers will come in because the advertisers will spend a lot of money and that'll give us the margin to go subsidize all the other stuff. 
it's not clear if that's going to work either, but that's just very much where they would like to go back to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it is deeply hilarious to me how quickly we're going back to it should just be like cable, but better. And it's like, if, if you could just go back 20 years and be any of these big cable providers, and if they were just like, what if we just let people pick the shows they wanted to watch and changed nothing else, they would have just dominated the universe for forever. Because it turns out that's all people actually <laughs> wanted. Like, I just want to choose what show is on. Turned out to be the only behavior anybody actually wanted to change. Everything else was like pretty all right in most cases. Well, there was, there was a s- sports agnostic folks like who didn't want to have to pay for ESPN. And now I don't have yeah, to. Yeah, but all the people who watched ESPN were paying for the Disney Channel and Nickelodeon and all of the other stuff on your TV that got funded by the fact that ESPN made so much money. Right. Like ESPN was such a cash cow for Disney that it funded all this other stuff. And so it's just like in a way this system like didn't make any sense but actually seems like it kind of worked except that cable was bad and expensive. Yeah, I'm saying like every like 15 years or so there's like a lawsuit from someone who's like, my taxes go to the military and I don't want my taxes to go to the military. And then they lose. That was us. That was right, us. Yeah, right. It's like, and then, and then, and then, and then like the lawsuit goes and the court's like, no, that's not how taxes work. Like, right. You pay your taxes, the government gets decided. That's ESPN. ESPN is the military industrial complex. Yeah. And we, the American consumers, should be forced to pay our taxes because that subsidizes like the 35th show on the Disney Channel. Right. And that's how that's going to work. Well, and it's like, do you know how that like your Google Maps knows where you are? Like, thank the military for <laughs> GPS being a thing, right? It's like, it turns out like all of this stuff is connected a little more than you think. <laughs> so, but this is like Disney had earnings, right? And their earnings are mixed bag. It's earnings are never that interesting to talk about, but they lost a bunch of subscribers in India because they lost the rights to cricket. So Disney Plus is coming back down to earth, but the parks are doing well. And it's just unclear what new content they will have because of the strikes. Iger notably was like, I hope we can figure this out this time. Whereas a few months ago, he was like, I'm very disturbed by these sick bastards. You know, like the tone has shifted (laughs) a little bit. And it just seems clear, like Disney, they've got to, they've got to power through this moment and actually have stuff worth buying and watching. And it's sort of unclear what that stuff is going to be. Well, and that's that's part of this too, is like you think, okay, they, they did the Disney Plus and Marvel was supposed to be a big subscriber. Like the main reason people subscribe to Disney Plus is because they have children. But everybody who doesn't have children myself included, we want to, like, why would we want to go subscribe? And the idea was, okay, well, you're going to subscribe for Star Wars and you're going to subscribe for Marvel. And then all those shows are kind of garbage. Yeah, it sounded like a pretty compelling argument. And even at the beginning, it was pretty good. Like, WandaVision was great. Yeah. The Mandalorian was great. It was like, it started well. And then just over the course of the next few years, they just systematically got worse, right as all the other factors got harder for Disney. And so it's just like this perfect storm of like, what is the pitch here? And it seems to get harder and harder all the time. Like, you could not get pay people to care about Secret Invasion, which no. was the the latest Marvel show. I, I watched all of it. I know what happened. Do I ever want to talk with anyone else about it? <laughs> You're like, no. barely want to admit that you watched the show. <laughs> Here's my understanding of Secret Invasion, just to be clear. I have not watched it. I've yeah. barely paid attention to it. It's the show where 
everyone is revealed to be an alien so that they can recast new actors in those roles in the next movies. Yeah, I mean, and that, kind of. Like, that's a big part okay. of it. And it's. But my sense of it is the reveal in every episode is this beloved character has always been an alien. Yeah, it's like, yeah, okay. this person is secretly an alien. The show is just like, it's like an intermission between Marvel things. They're just like, <laughs> here's we're, we're going to reboot the show over seven yeah. different episodes. And then at the end of it, New Avengers. <laughs> yeah, basically. We did it was it. so bad. But like, it, it seem, it's cynical on its face. Like, just even I know that much about it, which I don't even think that's spoilers. Like, the show's called Secret Invasion. I think yeah. it, that's what it is on the tin. <laughs> you know, like, I don't think I spoiled anything about this show for anyone. But it, it's like, oh, we need some new actors. So what if all the old actors are revealed to be aliens and then they get in a spaceship and go back to their home planet? And it's like, oh, this is... <laughs> You guys are really out of ideas here. <laughs> like you're starting over. I think they. Oh, they. Now that's a spoiler, Alex. Now the people are gonna. Oh, I'm this. sorry. I'm sorry. Never mind, guys. So, but the big picture here is just generally across the streaming market, Disney has these problems. They're gonna start doing some Netflix movies, right? They're gonna actively explore uh, cracking down on password sharing, which seems to have worked really well for Netflix. They keep gesturing at the idea of selling themselves to Apple. This, okay, okay. I want to, like, this is this is what I want to call, I want to use, I'm going to drop a, a curse word here. This is utter bullshit. This happens, like, every time, Apple is one of those companies that has a ton of money, and they always have a ton of cash around, right? And so everybody's like, oh, what should they do with it? And, like, six, seven years ago, I was like, they should buy Netflix. Yeah. And they were never going to buy Netflix, because that doesn't make sense. First of all, they absolutely should have bought Netflix. Yeah, it would have been great then. But they were never going to, because it didn't make sense. And the idea that they were going to go, and like Tim Cook, whose entire thing is like making money by being really smart about logistics, is going to take on the cruise and the theme park industry. Tim Cook's about to retire. Like, he doesn't... Yeah, that's why you buy Disney at the end. And you're like, look, Bob Iger, you hate retiring. <laughs> Have you thought of being the CEO of it? Here you go. I bought Disney. You just, I'm going to, I'm Tim Cook. Here's. Yeah. Now you go and do all the keynotes. My swan song is headsets and cruises together at last. <laughs> and, and then he just rides off in the, the sunset. That's a very like retiree swan song. <laughs> and a horse made of money. This is the future of cruises is you get on and you put on your Apple Vision Pro on your Disney cruise and you sit <laughs> in a recliner. But you're not actually on a boat at all. <laughs> you're just at home. Well, you're 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 in a soundstage that rocks. You have a little Mickey assistant. This is, by the way, the plot of Wally. So a little worried, but at least at the end, you know, they save Earth. I don't know. So the Disney Apple thing has always seemed suspicious to me, like to the point where it's. I I have always agreed with you, Alex, that this is like a thing people say because it sort of seems like it makes sense, but never was actually real. But. The two things that happened this week that I thought were very interesting were uh, Kim Masters at The Hollywood Reporter, who is very much like a person who knows everything about what's happening in Hollywood, wrote a one of those stories that is like half reported and half speculative, but it's only speculative because you can't say out loud the things that other people have said to you that you know for sure, right? Like reading between the lines, this thing is like very accurate and very well sourced about basically hypothetically, if you were Disney, here is what you would do if you wanted to sell your company to Apple. You would divest, you would pull the different pieces apart, and you would essentially turn yourself into a company full of characters and IP without a lot of stuff attached to it. And then you would sell that to Apple. And then you look around and, oh, that's exactly what Bob Iger kind of sounds like he wants to do with Disney. And so that happened. The piece is very good. It's We have it linked uh, on The Verge. We should put it in the show notes too. Like, Kim is, is a person who knows 
things. And yeah. I, I trust, I, I don't think Kim is like making this up out of whole cloth. Uh, <laughs> and then the other thing was somebody on Disney's earnings call asked Bob Iger directly something to the effect of, are you selling to Apple? Uh, and his answer was, he said, basically, I'm not going to say anything. It's not something that we obsess about. And then he said, obviously, anyone who wanted to speculate about these things would have to immediately consider the global regulatory environment. And then he said, I'll say no more than that. How do you not read that as, gosh, I'd really like to, but Lena Khan and the FTC super, super, super would not allow it to happen? <laughs> like, I don't know how else to read that statement from Bob Iger. Yeah. And I think that's, that goes back to the the fact that this isn't gonna happen. I mean, theoretically it could, right? Like, 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 I don't want to say it's never going to happen, but it's very unlikely to, because the EU would come down on that new combined company and just, just destroy it. Like they would never allow it to happen. And it would be just borderline unconscionable for the FTC to let two of the biggest companies, the company that has like a practical monopoly in the theater space, practical monopoly in all these other spaces, and the company that has the app store monopoly combine into one mega company, like that's bad business unless you're Bob Iger. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna make the argument. Do it. Okay. Be Bob. I'm coming back to Disney as CEO. Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> the first thing Bob Iger says in every room. <laughs> uh look, I was leaving, but I'm coming back. Uh now here's the argument. I have two arguments to make. One is like a straightforward argument. We kind of went through this with Microsoft and Activision, and eventually the EU caved and the FTC lost and like whatever, right? Like it is the same shape of thing, right? The big distribution platform buys a bunch of content. We seem to not know how to stop it. It just happens. Fine. Maybe it will just happen. I don't know if it will, but obviously Bob Iger is thinking about the global regulatory environment. Then there's, I think, what I would frame as the chaos argument which is let them dance. You know, like <laughs> this is how companies fall apart is like they get too big yeah, and then this thing seems unmanageable and like Apple's corporate culture will crush Disney and then maybe we'll be free. You know, it's like, <laughs> that's like it's, the, it's the worst argument I can make. It is, I would say, the argument that, for example, uh, has proven to be correct in the case of every AT&T acquisition in history. Go ahead, buy Time Warner. Try to try to rule the world. Yeah, I, mean, I was going to say AOL Time Warner is exactly <laughs> this kind of merger that you're describing. Also, yeah, and it's like, yeah, go ahead, try. Like, see, see if that works out for you. See if see if you are not destroyed by your own hubris. I'm not saying that's a great policy outcome. Many many people lose their jobs along the way, and lots of art doesn't get made. Although with Time Warner and AT and T, we did get the grayscale four by three Justice League. <laughs> so that happened. Uh, We're going to get like a Marvel movie just shot all vertically so it fits perfectly <laughs> on your iPhone and profile. That's what you're getting. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I'm not saying they should or shouldn't do it. I just think that like if I'm Tim Cook, I'm looking at the history of these kinds of integrations and I'm saying, oh, actually, in the end, this never works out. Like it doesn't matter about the regulators. Like if you are a smart business person, you look at integrations of this size and you're like, oh, this is death. Like this is what kills both companies in like meaningful ways at the end of the road. He's told people no in the past, right? Like wasn't there the one where Elon was like, please buy Tesla before Tesla was Tesla? Yeah. And he was like, LOL, get out of my office. How did you get in here? Actually, speaking of things they should have bought, (laughs) right? Like the many, many, many attempts that Apple has made 
to make a car. Yeah. They should have just bought Tesla. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they would have solved the panel gaps. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> they wouldn't have cheaped out of the materials. There just would be no door handles at all. Your whole hand goes in those panel gaps. Yeah. But th- this is the thing that comes up every time the like possibility of Apple acquiring some sexy company comes up. Uh, like, do you remember a couple of years ago when Peloton was flagging and everybody was like, oh, Apple's going to buy Peloton. And then there were a couple of people, I think, including uh, our friend Steve Kovach at CNBC, who just basically raised their hand and were like, why on earth would Apple want Peloton? Like, why all these companies need Apple makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Why Apple, the richest company on the planet that has done a very good job of developing the ability to do almost anything very well over time. Why on earth would it need like a warehouse full of treadmills and bikes that no one is buying? Yeah. And in this case, like, what does Apple need with a theme park? I mean, they run a very nice theme park in Cupertino. It's a circle. You can go to it. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, I, I guess, like, a, the basic business advice is like, don't buy problems, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. This is a huge problem. Like, the future of streaming is a huge problem. Apple's involved in these strikes, right? They are part of the AMPTP. Yeah. They're up against SAG. They're up against the Writers Guild. Disclosure, Alex is part of the Writers Guild. Our newsroom is unionized with the Writers Guild. I'm a Netflix producer. Comcast owns a chunk of the company. You should watch our Netflix show. It's great. That was your best one yet. That was like all in one breath. That was really good. Uh, Someone wrote to us and said, your disclosures are starting to sound like flexes, so I'm trying to... But it is true that I'm a Netflix producer. <laughs> uh, you should watch our Netflix show. It's great. It was nominated for an Emmy. Also, you've you've merch for your other podcasts now. Do you want to disclose that? Oh yeah, that? you can go to store.themerch.com and buy buy literally my name on a hat. So uh, that's a weird <laughs> moment for me uh, personally. Uh, that's all just really complicated for Apple, and this is like their first baby step in the water, right? They're not like a huge distributor of TV shows. Buying Disney is like now they're in it. Yeah. Like they're fully in, like um let's take an example. Jason Kalar took over for at Time Warner, right? He took over Warner Media and he was like, here's the thing we want to do. All the movies are gonna go to streaming day and date. That is a thing that Apple would want to do to promote Apple TV Plus on their devices. And that thing broke Warner Media, yep. pushed Kalar out of the CEO role, and we ended it with Discovery Max Plus, whatever it's called. Those are culture decisions that you have to make. They're not business decisions. And I think Apple likes being at a remove. The thing that I would offer, and and we have an entire episode about sports and streaming coming next week, but Apple's really into sports. Yep. And they, I think they really want to do sports in the Vision Pro in like a serious way. ESPN over the past couple months, and in particular last week, just sort of like casually rearranged the sports media market. Yeah. Right? They took Pat McAfee, who was kind of the one of the biggest indie sports podcasters, video people. He had a deal with FanDuel. Disney just took him away. <laughs> he, I think he was unhappy with that FanDuel deal. He's now just part of the ESPN lineup. Like, big, huge, multi-million dollar deal. And then this last week, Penn Gaming, which is another betting company, heavily invested in Barstool Sports. A lot of machinations there, but they basically just gave it back to Dave Portnoy, who is a controversial character in his own right, and said, you can have Barstool. We're going with Disney. We're going with ESPN. Wow. And ESPN opened up to betting for the first time in partnership with Penn. So just in the, like the last few months, ESPN has just like repositioned some of the biggest indie names in sports media and entered betting. That's all just a lot, right? That, and that, those are power moves. Like, yeah. this is how ESPN wants it to be. This is how ESPN is going to get it. That puts ESPN in the driver's seat of kind of the next 
turn of things, maybe. But it's not clear that Apple wants to be in like the betting business at all, right? No, I would say it seems overwhelmingly likely that Apple doesn't want to be in that business. Like to the extent that like betting apps are in the App Store seems to be only headache for Apple, yeah. and I can't imagine them signing up for the the regulatory complications that come with that anytime soon. And I think like to your to your point about getting into this world fully, uh, even with. TV plus Apple has been sort of dragged kicking and screaming into the broader Hollywood landscape. Like it, it had to commit to spending a bunch of money to put its movies in theaters. It's slowly becoming more of a part of Hollywood, but even still like Apple's whole thing is it likes things it can wrap its arms entirely around. And even if you own Disney, you just can't do that. Yeah. So like I can see what Disney would want from Apple out of some, you know, partnership. What's the phrase everybody uses? Special relationship that that they had with Jobs because Jobs owned Pixar. And yeah. There was some- He was the largest shareholder of Disney. It wasn't a special relationship. He was the largest individual shareholder of yeah, Disney. Right. So he <laughs> right. was like, I can call them. Yeah. <laughs> and they picked up the phone. Yeah. He and Bob had like a special handshake that they did. Yeah. Uh, and they would like do butterfly kisses when they saw each other. And that's that Aww. was the Disney Apple relationship. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm- I tend to be with you, Kranz, that this won't happen, but I do think it is possible that we will get to a point where both companies want it to happen, but ultimately decide they can't Yeah, for a variety of reasons. We were hearing those rumors a couple of weeks ago that they might get rid of ESPN. They might sell off ESPN or something like that. That I could maybe see happening, but even then it's back to like, does Apple want to get into gambling and also doing sports deals? Yeah. Probably not. It's it's a mess. I think they want to do sports deals, not gambling. Go ahead. I was just going to say, can we get a real quick strike update before we throw yeah. a break and move on from this stuff? Because I feel like a bunch of this stuff came up in these earnings calls and people are back at the table, but not back at the table. So it's, it's all negotiations, which means everybody's going to have their own opinion on who's the one stepping back. Right now, the Writers Guild is saying, well, it's the producers. They're not coming to the table. They refuse to come to the table. And the producers are like, uh-uh. We're here. And so it's not clear. There's still definitely a lot of like discourse there and, and people upset with each other. But the the Emmys have been delayed because of the strikes, right. because like you can't have a bunch like it what good are the Emmys if you don't have a bunch of actors up on stage being like, Yeah, I want an Emmy. Like it's it's just the technical Emmys, and those are really good, but they haven't televised those for years. So I don't think <laughs> they're gonna start now. And so you've got that uh, Paramount just just came out and was like, well, we are totally set. We we are we are we we're fine. We can weather continue to weather this. And this is where I'm super suspicious of other companies who are like, yeah, I just don't know if we're going to have all the content we need because they all knew this these strikes were coming. They all knew this was going to be happening. They've all been banking shows for for a while now to get through this. So any of them who say, well, I didn't know and everything, be super suspicious there. Like, take a moment, hmm. look around and be like, is that true? Because it's it's certainly interesting. And everybody's going to keep doing this. This is going to be like, there's always, you're going to have both sides expressing their truth, <laughs> which is certainly the truth, but it's also specifically their versions of it. So, you know, maybe Disney doesn't have enough content to get them through. They could bring Willow back instead of yanking it wow. off of Disney Plus after a few months. I'm fine. I'm not bitter. It's okay. Oh, this is how we get Batgirl back on, on Max. I see it. Yeah. This is how we get it back. They're like, oh my God, this actually will make us more money <laughs> than the tax break saved us. 
it's interesting. I'll just know, and then we then we should take a break. Uh, the last time there was a writer strike, that's when reality TV happened. Mm. Well, it was happening right before it. Right, and the studios started investing in it massively because it was cheaper, and then it became this like dominant yeah. form of media. That's what a lot of them are planning on doing. Like, a lot of them are going to carry through with that. But at the end of the day, especially because the actors are on strike, like, you still want people like to see famous people. That's just the way it is. They want to see the famous people. And the famous people are all out picketing or staying in their houses going, yeah, you go, picketers. (laughs) And, like, Venmoing the strike fund occasionally. Yeah. Will Smith is like, get my weird AI double from that bad movie that we shot in 120. Get him on the the line. I still I can barely remember what that movie is called the Gemini Man. Get the Gemini Man out there yeah. right now. Gemini Man two, three, and four <laughs> are all coming next year. Uh, yeah, if we don't solve this, AI Will Smith is coming to your house. <laughs> That's the real threat. Well, no, it's just like it was last time it was reality. This time it's going to be. Oh, what if we show you even more South Korean game shows? And like, that's going to be a weird, it's going to be a weird thing to look at a few years from now if this doesn't get resolved soon, is all I'm saying. Netflix is going to have a great time because they have a huge international library. So they're, they're like set, Paramount set. Disney's the one I'm kind of surprised that they weren't set because you would think Hulu's definitely set, but yeah, we'll see. I don't know. After Only Murders in the Building season three, like, what is there on Hulu? Yeah. For anyone. The Little Fire show with Reese Witherspoon that I never watched, but I know exists. Mm-hmm. Love that. The Little Fires one. Everybody's favorite show. <laughs> for your consideration for the Emmys. <laughs> All right. That's enough. We will note here, uh, just to the end, Barbie is over a billion at the box office. Hell yes. Without any uh, Ryan Gosling, Margot Robbie promotion, because they're on strike too, which is also fascinating. And probably everyone's going to learn the wrong lesson from that. Uh, okay. That's it. We got to take a break. We'll be right back. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We're back. In a hard transition from the state of streaming, we're now going to talk about enterprise software. Yes. Uh, the two most important things. 
Uh, David, you wrote about Slack's redesign this week. A lot going on in Slack. It's turning into teams in a lot of ways. Yeah, basically. It's, uh, it's a sort of delightful story because teams spent several years during the pandemic just ruthlessly copying everything it could about Slack and then just sort of decimating it because you get teams for free by subscribing to Microsoft's many other products. Slack is a separate thing you have to pay for. So teams sort of resoundingly one by just copying Slack, and now Slack, which got bought by Salesforce, as a half success story, half sort of retrenchment after being destroyed by Teams, is now just completely copying Teams. So they've added a new sidebar where there's like the home feed where that kind of looks like Slack, but then there's also a DMs thing where you can see all your messages from all across Slack. There's an activity thing that'll show you every time you've been mentioned, or the reaction emojis, all that stuff. It's basically like they're trying to sort of filter your messages a little better so you can make more sense of the chaos of Slack and also make it easier for you to find things like huddles and Canvas and some of these other features that they have. In general, the idea makes total sense to me. Uh, I think a lot of people are going to freak out because it does look pretty different and it's a really different way of thinking about Slack. Like Slack, I don't know how you guys feel about it. It's pure chaos, but it is like an understandable kind of chaos. Mm -hmm. And I think shifting that is tough, especially for something like this. It's like people use this stuff for work all day, every day. And the idea of just like, we've put in a new icon always freaks people out. Yeah. It's understandable case because most things in Slack are the same kind of thing. Yeah. It's messaging. It's just a bunch of right. messages in a row. Right. It's a, yeah. here's a line of text that, you know, it's like sent to someone or some room. And at worst, maybe you'll like send someone a line of text in the wrong context and that's bad. Great. But like, it's all the same thing. And what's happening now with this redesign is like many more kinds of things are going to come to the front, like huddles and the canvas thing, which is like a Google doc for a room. And that's the turn that I, I think they've wanted to make for a long time. Like this is where we work and work involves lots of different kinds of communication and right. contexts versus this is where you send lines of text to other people. <laughs> and ugh, we'll see. Whereas teams, we, we had a long conversation about teams and like the verge team Slack room because Teams is much bigger, like an order of magnitude more users than Slack. Yeah. And it is mostly in big companies used as a video conferencing application, not any of the other stuff. Yeah. A lot of them still use Slack for like DMs and stuff. And then they use Teams for their video conferencing. Which is bizarre. Which is insane for like a yeah. bunch of reasons. Yeah. The IT guy's just like, I got money to spend, man. I'm I having guess. a great time, like, <laughs> blowing that whole budget. Enjoy yourself, IT guy. Uh, if you're not watching the video, Alex just made the, like, make it rain motion with her hands to describe an IT rain. administrator buying Slack. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He already got teams out there, and he's just throwing money around. She? They? The thong song's playing. Alex is, like, buying enterprise software. <laughs> That's how I, that's how, like, as a lover of enterprise software, that's how I think about it. We'll see. I, I haven't gotten the new Slack update yet. David, are you using it? I haven't gotten it yet either. Uh, it's going to roll out slowly. Slack always does this really slowly. They're, like, desperately afraid of making people nervous about changes. So you can, like, opt in to being fast or medium or slow and how you get updates. Uh, I think it's coming to free users first. Because like Slack doesn't care about you if you don't give them money. So just deal with the new thing. Uh, and then sort of slowly to everybody else. 
I'm very curious about it. But the reason I added it to the rundown, and we don't have to spend too long on this, but I think it's really interesting. We we had this debate, ironically, in Slack after this story went up about why people care about Slack so much. Like, mm. just to let people into how The Verge works. I've written about Slack a lot over the years, and every time a ton of people read it in a way that if I write about like a new feature in Google Docs or Excel or these other like, in many cases, much more popular features, like sometimes they're like big new things, but in every case, it's like a teeny tiny iterative update to Slack, people care about a lot. And I, I have been trying to figure out why this is for a long time. Like, what is it about Slack that means this much to people in a way that like your average app you use at work doesn't really matter. I think it's because people use Slack for their friends. And most enterprise software is just like not used that way. Like that's that's just my thing is like you live in Slack for like a lot of things you do with other people. If you have a D&D group, there's a chance you have a Slack. Maybe you have a Discord. We have a signal, thank you. Yeah, right. Like <laughs> but so many people just have Slacks for things. Outside of work. Yeah. And I think that that means, like, everyone's just kind of interested. Like, here's this interface I have for communities on the internet that is changing. Or, you know, the Slack just captured so much of the imagination to begin with that everyone is interested, like, remains interested in it. But, like, Zoom isn't that thing. No one reads about when we do no. Zoom updates. Unless they're stealing all of your well, data. With, with one recent <laughs> yeah. exception, which we'll come back to. <laughs> but I am curious how this, like, because I think you're right, Neela, where it is, it is people use this outside of this. How is that going to affect adoption when they change it? Because right now, if you go and you look at Discord and Slack, there's definitely some differences, but they fundamentally look a lot alike. And now it's not going to look like that way. One's going to be very for like business and the other yeah. is going to be where your gamer friends say Mew Mew. And like, which is the one... I don't have gamer friends that say that, just to be clear. Um, You're the gamer <laughs> friend who says that. I'm the gamer <laughs> Which is going to be the what? Like, like, are people going to still use it? Or are they going to look at it and be like, mm, old people use that and click out of it? So I have this like theory of competition in software. And it, I think it's best expressed with iOS and Android. They diverge in the way the interfaces look, and then they converge again, like all the time. And you can drive yourself crazy and certainly gain a lot of like hate replies on Twitter if you say iOS copied Android or Android copied iOS, right? Like that's the cycle they're in. But the reason they do that is very obvious is that if you want people to switch between platforms, you have to lower the cognitive burden of switching. Yep. If you are Google and you want people to switch from iOS to Android, you cannot have a radically different interface. Right. Yeah. You you need to welcome them in and say most of the things are in most of the same places and the things that are different are substantially better for X, Y, or Z reason. And you can 100% argue over whether that is successful in the case of Android. But that's basically the thinking, right? It's like you got to make it easy to switch. If you are Slack and Microsoft Teams is way bigger than you, it makes all the sense in the world that you're going to make Slack look slightly more like Microsoft Teams to try to peel that market share back. What's interesting to your point, Alex, is they're not looking more like Discord. Yeah. Mm. Because that's the other competitor. It's just no one wants to admit that Discord is a competitor. Like I had former Slack CEO Stuart Butterfield on Decoder ages ago. Might have even been the Vershess. Might have even been pre-Decoder. <laughs> the last time I talked to him about this specific thing, he was like, yeah, I don't think Discord's a competitor. But it obviously is. It's just in this moment, where where's the money? The money is 
paid users of Microsoft Teams, not a bunch of randos in a crypto Discord. And like, we're having a great time. Time of their life over there. Yeah. Slack and Discord have been refusing to run at each other for years. Like, I remember asking the Discord folks, I don't know, four years ago now, when are you doing Discord for Teams? And they were like, we don't, we don't want to mess with that. It, it involves a bunch of like compliance and administrative work we don't want to do. If you want to use it for work, great, but that's not officially what it's for. And Slack says literally the exact same thing in reverse. They're like, if you want to use it for personal stuff, that's awesome. Knock yourself out. That's not what it's for. And it's like the, these two companies just keep staring at each other, like refusing to acknowledge that they're actually doing the same thing. Yeah. Well, I think that's why Slack was so popular versus all of those competitors, right? Like, remember HipChat? <laughs> we were a HipChat's shop for a minute. Oh, yeah. Yeah. HipChat, was it Campfire? Yep. And then, like, Teams. Teams was Teams is relatively new, and it was able to get an enormous market share because it's Microsoft and it already was in all of those spaces. And it was just like, Hey, now we give you this free cancel your Slack subscription. And so for the longest time, it was popular partially because it was such a social app in a way that teams really isn't. And so it's like, okay, well, if you go that way, aren't you ruining why most people adopted it to begin with? And I don't, I haven't used it. I don't know. Like if it allows me to not accidentally broadcast things that I thought were DMs, great. <laughs> the Alex Kranz experience. <laughs> but I look forward to it. But I am like curious if that's going to happen. And actually, ironically, Microsoft is the company that is trying to do both. Like it, yeah. it made all this noise a couple of years ago about teams for families, which to me is just like <laughs> outrageous. That's just a threat. That's like Excel yeah. for preschoolers. <laughs> like we're coming for you. Yeah, like Microsoft cannot let go of this idea that you should use its tools for your regular life. And to me, it's like if they had called it Microsoft Chat, it might have had a chance to be something. Yeah. But if, if like, can, Neil, can you imagine hanging up this call and going upstairs to Becky and being like, hey, let's plan in Teams? <laughs> uh, no. Uh, again, my, my goal in life is to not use software. Um it's just a stated goal. I, I think I've said this in the show. My ambition in like my career is not to accumulate more titles or power. It is to use as little enterprise software as possible. <laughs> like I just want to get to the place where people walk into my office. I don't have an office. So like I've got ages to go. But people like show me printouts of emails and I like sign them with the Sharpie. <laughs> I want this for you. <laughs> it's like all, all I want is to not use enterprise software at work. You have an attache who carries your phone for you. Yeah. And you know, like, you know, the, the masters of the universe, they're not, you think Tim Cook looks at an email? He's got an iPad for God's sake. <laughs> yeah. Does yeah. Tim Cook use an iPhone? I, that's actually a good question. I've never actually seen him use a phone. I've seen him use an iPad. Wait, Neil, do you do you have a like family coordination software that you use? No, we both work at home. Like we don't. You need to do that stuff when you're like asynchronous. But like we see each other all day. <laughs> you just, just yell. yell at her. Yeah. Like we are we are communicating. I think now Max is going to start in kindergarten. So like there's a there's another force in the world that has to schedule us. And I think maybe now we will need to share a calendar, but uh, three people who spend all day together, you should not need software to manage that relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I really cannot emphasize that enough. If you spend all day with two other people, you should not be like, I'd like to introduce some software into this. Relationship. There was a minute where I tried to get 
my wife on on Trello for life planning purposes, <laughs> and the she was into it, but then we couldn't agree on how to format the Trello cards, <laughs> so it all fell apart. <laughs> She, I was just like, no, you have to use these things as checklists on the Trello oh, cards. No. And she was just like, whatever, I'm going to write it all in the description. And like three days later, it just all fell apart. And now we just have like a series of context-free links sent in our text message chain. And that's that's our yeah. that's how we talk to each other. That's not good. Are you, um, have you, have I converted you to Apple Watch walkie-talkie people yet? That's the, the thing I'm going to miss the most when we like go back to offices and lives and whatever. No, she's a green bubble. Uh, Anna, Anna's oh, wow. a pixel owner. And a very happy one who will never switch. So when I'm like using or testing an Android phone, we can just like duo our faces off and it's great. Uh, but sadly, sadly, there will be no walkie-talkies. Walkie-talkie is dangerous. No one in my family understands how to use it. So I had to turn it off because I'd be like just hearing the whistling from my wrist, whatever I was doing that day. And I was like, nope, we're not doing this anymore. Revoked. We are so deep in them. I mean, this is enterprise. This is... When you say, have you integrated Microsoft Teams into your life? It's like, no. But have you been in the grocery store talking to your wrist about which (laughs) bread to purchase? Yes. (laughs) Effectively on speakerphone, too. Like, it's the Apple Watch is is loud now. And I'm just like, boop. (laughs) 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 Like I said, my entire life is just headed toward power moves of this kind. (laughs) <laughs> That's all I want. Love it. We actually, t- we, we're kind of on the subject of like a bunch of behaviors changed in the pandemic work from home moment. And now everyone's sort of headed back to offices in various ways. One very funny example of that Zoom called everyone back to office this week, which is choice. Zoom. Like just perfectly choice. Do you think Zoom knew? Like when they're sitting there being like, we're about to send this like all staff email telling everybody to come back to the office. Like, do you think they knew that they were like, well, we're about to play ourselves so hard as soon as this email goes out. If I'm Zoom, I'm doing this just to generate some headlines about Zoom. Because, like, no one's been talking about <laughs> Zoom for weeks, you know? And it's like, Fair. you know what we should do is call everyone back to the office. Like, everyone will be like, remember Zoom? Zoom was great. It was better than the teams were forced to use now at work. Where's that IT guy spending the money in the strip club? <laughs> <laughs> He's out there. He's like, oh, you want Zoom? I got you. <laughs> He just, he's free with the budget. And then Zoom also got itself in trouble this week, as you alluded to earlier, David. Yeah. Um, They changed their terms of service. And I understand why they changed their terms of service. They just did it in the most ham-fisted, stupid way possible. So they basically changed their terms of service to say, all the data that you're putting through Zoom, Zoom has a license to. And they need that. If you run a service on the internet, you, you need a license to all the data that users put into your service for any infinite number of copyright reasons. Like you run servers, you're going to copy data from one server to another. You're going to introduce new features that might remix the user data, all this stuff. So you just need this like big, broad license. And then the example you always use when we talk about the stuff that I really like is thumbnails. Yeah. Uh, If they don't have the rights to use and change and copy your stuff, they can't make the little versions of the image that you click on to get the big version of the image. Like, it's that simple in many Oh, yeah, they can't overlay text on those images because that's a derivative. Right. You just write yourself the biggest, broadest license you can. And they added these lines that are like, for artificial intelligence and training models. And it's like, everyone lost their mind. So fast. By the raw language of it, that means everything you say into Zoom can be used to train artificial intelligence. Right. It's like, oh, we're selling your data to OpenAI to put into GPT-4, right. and we're allowed to now, is like, 
the the implication of that. Uh, speaking of the strike, I saw a bunch of people in Hollywood tweeting like, oh, we can't use Zoom when we're creating stuff anymore. It's like people are so primed to see this stuff being taken from them and see this all being used against them in a lot of ways that Zoom did this the wrong way at exactly the wrong time. Yeah. If they'd done this like three months ago, nobody would have batted an eye until somebody like did a TikTok right now being like, did you know three months ago Zoom decided to steal all your data and give it to ChatGPT and now you own nothing, including your face. Zoom does. Right. So this specific block of text is in like almost every terms of service. And it's it's just like what you need to run a service, right? You need to take a perpetual worldwide, non-exclusive royalty-free, sub-licensable, transferable license to do stuff. Access, use, store, transmit, review, disclose, preserve, extract. Like it's just a list of verbs. We are giving ourselves the broadest license to do verbs to your data. Because if you run a service, there's you want to do stuff. You're, you're going to do, do verbs. Verbs yeah. is what we're here for. It's not nouns. If you're living a nouns life, you know? So they added this language about artificial intelligence. So you just kind of combine the like usual panic. Like every couple of years, like some teenager discovers the Instagram terms of service and then people freak out yep. and everyone yeah. posts that copy. That's like, I do not give Instagram the permission to do shit. And then I have to like write a blog post that's an autocomplete of a blog post I wrote four years ago. This is literally the case, by the way. Jay Peters wrote our, our story about uh, this Zoom AI thing and has backlinks to one uh, about Instagram from 2012 and one about Dropbox and Google Drive also from 2012. <laughs> and they are, I mean, like almost exactly the same post, both written by Neilai, <laughs> both being like, guys, this is just, this is just the words you need <laughs> to have things on servers. Everything's probably fine. <laughs> but so what's interesting about this is there's the general AI panic that is happening. So like Dave was saying, even the writer strike has, uh, has big elements of this. And then there's the actual problem which is, yeah, if you just read the language, it sure sounds like it. So Zoom had to clarify that customer data is customer data, which is if you are an enterprise software company, the worst thing to have to clarify. Yeah. Like, that's the whole point of the enterprise software company. That's fundamentally why Slack and Discord are not the same, right? Like Slack makes these right. big promises to big businesses about its relationship to them. And Discord is like, yeah, it's for gamers, we're going to mine all your data. <laughs> like it's, you know, it's like, it's, it's just like a very different approach. And I think zoom stepped in it and we're going to see hundreds of other companies step in it because at the end of the day, zoom probably wants to use AI to do things like better beauty filters that people ask for in zoom calls to do things like automated transcripts that are better than the already AI powered automated transcripts are doing. What you want is to write yourself a broad license so you can innovate freely. And the reality is you're, you're going to have to start asking permission step by step for all that stuff because this panic is coming over and over again. Part of me is like, okay, Zoom did this exactly wrong, right? Like the, they added a statement after all of this kerfuffle that said, notwithstanding the above, which is a deeply hilarious way to say, well, we wrote that badly. So here's some new words. Uh, Zoom will not use audio, video, or chat customer content to train our artificial intelligence models without your consent. Like, A, like you're saying, Eli, wild that yeah. that was not in there the first time. But B, I kind of don't know other than that one bit of, I think, clarification that some lawyer at Zoom didn't think they needed to do because it was inherently obvious but is not obvious to people who like to track changes on terms of service. It's this is just a hard thing to 
do. And I think one of the things we've discovered with a lot of these tools is like the thing that happens when somebody starts recording a Zoom call and there's that very loud thing that goes like, this meeting is now being recorded. Yeah. Uh, and they have this new thing with the AI meeting summaries where it like goes way out of its way to let you know that it's doing AI meeting summaries and you have to like click a thing to make the giant window full of text go away. We're just setting ourselves up for this like heinous user experience because these companies are afraid of our reaction to what they're doing in order to run their service. And there, it feels like there has to be a middle ground in there somewhere, but I don't know what it is. And it feels like it's going to be a while before we find it. I think it's like, one, they have to repeatedly prove that they're not going to do nefarious <laughs> things with your data. And that's pretty hard for them to currently do because everything we cover at theverge.com. There's so many examples of it, right? And so like they've they've kind of set themselves up to fail in that respect because they have misused data over and over and over and yes. over again. And so to be like, no, no, but this time is different. Like nobody's going to believe that. You've got you've got a really sa- you've got people who are way more savvy about this stuff than they were 10, 15 years ago. And so you you've got to fix that. And I think until they can kind of earn that trust back they're going to be in this place. And then the other side of it is like, people, please like go read anything chat GPT wrote that is longer <laughs> than like a hundred words. And then come back to me and say that it's going to steal my job. Like, right. You know, this stuff is not, we, we are very excited about it and everybody's like, Oh, it's gotten so big. But at the same time, it is still very early days. Chat GPT and these other generative AI systems aren't, going to be writing really good books. They'll write books, but they're not going to be readable, fun books most of the time. Yeah. I do wonder, though, if, to your point, Nilay, about companies running into this, if what they're going to learn from this is just barrel your way through it. Oh, that's all. Don't ask permission. Don't be nice. Just do what Google did and say, yeah, we take your shit from the internet. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, the problem is Zoom exists in a world where Microsoft Teams exists. And Slack. Fair. And Slack, right? Like uh, Google, <laughs> Google's approach to data on the internet right now, uh, explicitly now in some of their terms, is if the crawler can see it, we can train AI with it. Yeah. And that's a nightmare choice, right? You have to say, don't index my website in Google search. Uh okay, like maybe, <laughs> like I'm going <laughs> to shut my business down rather than like Google train its models in my day. Like you have to be Google to put yourself in that position. With Zoom, it's like, well, I'm just not going to use Zoom. <laughs> it's like the market right. works. The real answer I think is unfeasible in America. Like you need some sort of privacy law so that if they do overstep, there's a consequence and that keeps them in line. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get that anytime soon. I just want you to try to I keep using this example you have to go into Chuck Schumer's office and be like, all right, there's a spectrum of AI things here from beauty filters and Zoom to the people on Reddit who faked Glorbo to make the AI write about Glorbo in World of Warcraft. Write a law, Chuck. Well, if that's the spectrum, the law is just all these things are very good. <laughs> no problems. <laughs> 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 only good things there, only yeah. upsides. Yeah. All right, let's end on on my favorite story of the week. Same enterprise software, real middle section on enterprise software here. Uh, speaking of work from home, the Zoom explosion, all this stuff, in the height of the pandemic, when everyone thought no one was ever going to go work in an office again, where it was all video conferencing forever, Verizon bought a company called Blue Jeans for $400 million. Ugh. They... 
this was a big deal. Like yeah. the CEO of Verizon went on CNBC to announce it. They were talking about how they're going to roll it into 5G. Verizon, you know, a big IT supplier. They're like our distribution network. This is the future of business. Blue Jeans powered by Verizon. Give all your employees Verizon 5G phones. The low latency Blue Jeans experience will blow. Anyway, they shut it down this week. <laughs> it's because have you ever used Blue Jeans? Uh, no, 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 no. I'm a I'm a regular human. Yeah, I had to. So th- that's what the, the the Writers Guild of America used as oh, its software. Oh, and so Alex. when I was a, a, a union steward, you'd have 200 people on a call in Blue Jeans. And no one knew how it worked. Should have gone on strike about that. Yeah, I'm Jesus. sorry. <laughs> yeah, really? Sorry, it was brutal. It was just the worst app on the planet. And I remember when Verizon bought it, I was like, either they'll make it good or they didn't understand that they bought garbage. Um, and it sounds like it was the latter. Let me just put that headline right next to something else. Verizon will soon raise prices on unlimited plans again. Yep. Maybe if you hadn't lit $400 million on fire <laughs> buying a, a third-rate video conferencing app to make your 5G network better, uh, you could have just kept the prices lower. Just garbage software. Yeah, I just I just feel it, it's called blue jeans. Like, this is why. <laughs> have I told you about the career I'm going to have when I leave The Verge where I just walk into rooms and say, that name is stupid, and then somebody writes me a check for $50,000 and I leave? Blue, what a stupid Can name. I, <laughs> oh, Blue Jeans Me. Like, are you serious? That company no. never had a chance for one second. They had a bunch of marketing that was like, nothing fits like Blue Jeans. Like, that, that's what they were doing. Um, <laughs> that's true and has nothing to do with video conferencing. <laughs> I'm just going to read you this sentence. <laughs> we have made the difficult decision to sunset our suite of Blue Jeans products. <laughs> <laughs> there is more than one product? We are taking off our Blue Jeans. <laughs> That's <laughs> bad. So if you're on a Verizon Go Unlimited, Beyond Unlimited, or Above Unlimited, sure. This is some real Disney streaming shit here. I don't like this. Yeah. You will be playing $3 more per month. They do this like clockwork every yeah. year because the new iPhones are coming out, and they don't want you on the legacy plans when you get a new iPhone. They want you to put you on the new, more expensive plans when you get the new phone. And so every year they come out with new plans and new blah, 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 the new subsidies for the iPhones, and they make the old plans more expensive every year, like clockwork. And it's, I'm just going to point out that they, if they had not lit $400 million on fire <laughs> on a product called Blue Jeans, maybe their investors would be happier with them. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, uh, they wouldn't have to raise prices so much. Also, maybe if we hadn't, let T-Mobile buy Sprint, and there are actually four wireless carriers in this country. Uh, it would be actual competition market. That's just me. Uh, we don't have a Dish Network Gena 5 Sys update for you today because they've done fuck all. <laughs> that sounds right. That's accurate. Just saying. Dish Network was supposed to, in a long, confusing deal brokered by the Trump administration, stand up a fourth 5G network using a technology called ORAN, that would compete with the giants. Um, uh, you can you look around. Well, but now Dish Network is merging with Echo Star, so that's which is the same company. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to point out: if you are an old billionaire and you have two companies, and you're like, I don't know, merge them up together, you have accomplished nothing. This is like when people made me try to make me care about Paramount and Viacom and CBS all merging, and the only good thing about it was that like. 
the parent company was called National Amusements, which is like deeply funny. <laughs> and it's like, but it's all just the same. Like one old guy owned all the companies, right? And you're like, yeah. And they're like, oh man, this is the greatest succession drama. It's like, no, it's all just the same company. <laughs> like, none of this matters. That's Dish and Echo Star merging, which we wrote about this week, which is fine. I'm just pointing out, we were supposed to have four wireless carriers in America. We let T-Mobile buy Sprint, which was a, a mess. And then we brokered, instead of anything real, a fake idea about Dish Network making a fourth network, which, look around, doesn't exist. It's going really great. Uh, I would just say, Dish and Echo Star could combine, rename their network to Blue Jeans, and be heroes. <laughs> it's just right there. <laughs> uh, look, we like asking for your emails. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. We'll read some emails. If you are a person beyond just my phone is faster or I've downloaded more pirated Netflix videos than ever if in an airport, if you're someone who's actually like experienced the benefits of 5G, I want to hear from you. It cannot be that your bandwidth is just faster. I'm talking you did a robot surgery. Like one of these things they told us would happen with 5G. I have one example for everyone. I'll, I'll, I'll put it out there right now. Last night, I watched Taylor Swift announce 1989 Taylor's version from SoFi Stadium on like 45 different like crystal clear live streams on TikTok. That is because NFL stadiums have millimeter wave 5G in them. That's why. That's it. That's the future, baby. But that, okay, I'll give you that one. <laughs> I, I've taken that one off the table. They put so much bandwidth in NFL stadiums that I watched effectively pirate live streams of a Taylor Swift concert. Okay, that one's off the table. Give me something else. Email us, virtualcast.com. I'm dying to know if anyone has done like a robot 5G surgery, if they've deployed a low latency application to a telecom company's edge data center. You let me know. Because I, I, I haven't seen one other than these phones are slightly faster. Does updating your laptop at a hotel count? No, that's just more bandwidth. <laughs> but it was really nice bandwidth. You you cannot give me, you cannot give me, I can pull down one gig speeds, blah, blah, blah. You have to give me something on the order of tens of thousands of people in an NFL stadium live streamed crystal clear video to the internet all at once. Right, not just you alone stood on a street corner with with high bandwidth. <laughs> Tens of thousands of people used the internet once to, to because of the Taylor Swift. Like that is a that that, and I give you that. That is a meaningful five G thing that you could not do with an LTE network. But give me like one more. Like we did not do all of this for the Eras tour. At least I don't think we did. <laughs> Vergecast is Vergecast. Email us. We'll be right back. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. 
questions including what are we missing when we work remotely or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking. From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back. We have a little bit of lightning around. There's some good stuff in the lightning round this week, I yeah. gotta say. But before we get to that, last week we asked uh, about fart apps in the Vision Pro. I will say one person completely misinterpreted that conversation, got very mad at me on Twitter. What we were saying is when you have a new platform like the Vision Pro, the first wave of apps is like toys. It's like silly stuff, which was the first wave of apps on the iPhone. And then everyone like figured out what they could do because they'd made so many stupid, silly apps. And then you get the wave of mobile apps that is like revolutionized culture. There's someone on Twitter who's like super mad at me that I'm not aware <laughs> of the apparently successful enterprise VR apps that exist today. And it's true, I'm not. Blue and Jeans also VR Apple's. coming to a- <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Uh, but this was a prompt. Like, what's the first wave of silly apps for the Vision Pro going to be? We got some good answers. We did. I have also come up with one that I think is correct, and I'm going to quit my job and make it, and I'm going to make a fortune in the first year. But we should go through the ones that we got because they're all generally very good. What is it? We'll, we'll come back. That was a tease, David. That was a tease. I, I, have to, I have to read through and see all of these to decide if I'm going to share my idea. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the first one, Josh W., uh, his idea for a Vision Pro Fart app, uh, Drunk Vision, which makes a lot of sense, although you will puke right yeah, it's away. This just also throw leads up in your head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then that leads right into his second idea, which is shroom vision. I, I buy it, right? What if you could feel like like Aaron Rodgers mode for your vision pro is like it's also called Vision <laughs> Pro. Very good. Justin G uh, wrote try on clothes app. It's Snapchat filters for your whole body, and all you have to do is look at someone else. Dangerous idea. My immediate reaction to this was, oh, that seems really smart. And then one second later, I went, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) But I will say the thing, like everyone at Snapchat keeps telling me that the AR try-on thing is real and people like it and use it. And if you could like put on your Vision Pro and stand in front of the mirror and like see how you would look and stuff, like there will be something like that and I bet it'll work. I don't know about the all you have to do is look at someone else thing. (laughs) Yeah, there's some real consent issues there. I don't want to be able to change yeah. other people's clothes. That seems like a no-go. Here's what I'm thinking. Real-time revenge porn. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there's like App Store review problems in there. We'll see. But I get it. People like that idea. Michael G says the obvious answer is fart clouds floating around the user with spatial audio fart sounds. This literally is the answer. Spatial audio fart sounds is a thing that will happen. Like, Michael has spoken that into existence, and this will happen now. People took the fart app prompt a little too literally, because Zach wrote transparency mode, and you not only hear a fart, but you see a plume of purple and green come out of butts. That's right up there with Snapchat filters for your whole body. But like, can you imagine? You're going to be wearing a $3,500 headset. You're walking around the city, and you're just like waiting for farts. So you can see the like sparkle Oh, so wait. Farts. So you're imagining this not as a way to like make it look as if someone is farting. You're imagining like a fart recognition system. Yeah, it's transparency mode for farts. Fart detector. Oh. Yeah. 
So somebody farts and it's just, it's like the, the thing in the pool that turns your pee purple. It's just like AR. Yeah, it's it's that. (laughs) And every time it happens, you hear an Apple executive say something like with the power of the M2 chip. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Christopher C writes slow-mo running from Baywatch in whatever space you are in. Which I actually don't understand. It's like you're putting it on and you're walking down the street. And in addition to all the other people, it's this person's slow motion running towards you. It's just Pamela Anderson slowly it's running towards It's Hasselhoff. <laughs> it's good that you went to Pamela Anderson yeah, and I went to nice. Hasselhoff. I, that says it all, really. All right. And then my last one, this is my favorite one because it includes the phrase benefit hypothesis. Hell yeah. It's, it's very good. So Ruben yes. wrote, app description, colon. When the USA men's soccer team wins the World Cup, then your Apple Vision Pro will live stream a video of former President Donald Trump in prison. Wow, that turned hard in the middle there. <laughs> it did. Benefit <laughs> hypothesis. Both political parties will wonder how a former U.S. president spends his time in prison. Two, the curiosity will cause a positive effect on USA's overall soccer performance over time. So they're going to want to win so bad. <laughs> So that we can see that. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so that we can all see it. I don't know what this has to do with the Vision Pro, but it's an interesting incentive strategy. And then he has some potential names here. Victory Watch Ex-President Edition, the Champions Presidential Stream, Goal to Watch POTUS in Prison. These all sound like golf tournaments. <laughs> uh, and then number 10 here at the end, Soccer Glory Presidential Story. <laughs> I don't know, man. I like getting emails. Wow. That's so good. Very good. If you have ideas, this, we already had the prompt. If you have had a meaningful 5G experience, you email me. And I'm, 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 I'm taking the errors tour off the table. So that's it. We're going to get zero emails about that. So what's your better idea? We did get some emails from some Android gamers. Uh, we'll collate those and talk about those at a, at a later <laughs> Once time. there's more than one. Um, <laughs> that's basically <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't want to dox the one person who emailed me. Yeah. So we've got send some more of those. Um, but if you got ideas on like what the first wave of Vision Pro, I'm I'm very curious. Can wait? Can I tell you what my idea is? I've actually I I, I have been thinking a lot about this, and I actually think I'm right. I think there's going to be this like gigantic genre of what amounts to like fidget spinner apps in the Vision Pro. Uh, Neil and I, you and I have both gotten this demo, and just the thing where you can sit there and just like touch your fingers together to do stuff is delightful. And I think about like the, do you guys remember that app when the iPhone first came out that was just a beer on the screen and you could like slosh it back and forth? Oh yeah. That thing was like, oh, look at the accelerometer. This is cool. It does stuff when I move it. The equivalent of that on the Vision Pro is going to be like, I put my fingers together and something happens. So it's going to be like, there's going to be a bubble wrap app that makes a billion dollars. There's going to be one of the little like popper fidget things that's going to make a ton. Like, spin something around with your finger. Like, it's going to be huge. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. The person who's all mad at me, like, just missed the point. The point is, when you have a bunch of new interface concepts, the first round of apps is just, can you trigger all the sensors and push all the buttons? Right. And that trains everybody to get excited about what else they can build in the way that the first round of iPhone apps was like, turn the phone sideways and it looks like you're pouring a beer. Like, that didn't accomplish anything other than getting people used to motion controls on an iPhone. Totally. And like something like that will happen. The first, I guarantee you, the first round of Vision Pro apps is going to be more stuff like that. I can't say it's going to be champion story, presidential <laughs> glory. 
<laughs> just not a not a clear business model path. Um, but you can see how some of this stuff will happen. All right, lightning round. Kranz, you've got LK99, which is the fakest story. This I can I say this? I will say the LK99 situation like exemplifies broken Twitter to the max. Yes. A hundred percent. Like it exists because Twitter decided it would exist and like no one could stop it. And then we all had to talk about it. And then go ahead. You got it. It's you. Yeah. Yeah. It felt very, um, if people understood how, how science is normally reported and how major discoveries are normally reported, they would have been a little less hyped about this because generally speaking, when science has really cool, big discoveries, they like to be like, hey, look at these really cool big discoveries we have. They don't like to leak two competing <laughs> studies on the same product to a different forum and then have everybody argue over whether it's real or not and have very little proof. That's the opposite of science. Everybody who was like, it's all a conspiracy, no, they were incorrect. But LK99 was was is a substance there were a number of developers who came out and they said, oh, this could be the next superconductor. And, and the important thing about superconductors, they're really, really good at conducting electricity at room temperature, at normal pressure. Most superconductors cannot do that. We have superconductors today, but they usually have like thermal or, or pressure issues, in which makes them really, really ex- like great to use, but really, really expensive to use. So something that just works at normal t- like out of the box is a huge, huge idea. And one of the things that like tells a superconductor from other things is the ability to levitate over magnets. But those aren't the only materials that levitate over magnets. So when everybody saw this partially, not even fully, partially levitating, they were like, oh my God, it's a superconductor. (laughs) And it turns out that, oh my God, it's not. It's just one of those materials that levitates over magnets. And it sounds like there's definitely some cool use cases for it. It sounds like there's some interesting things here. But uh, the researchers, some of the researchers already were trying to like sell it. And so this was part of their marketing hype to like sell it. And the other researchers were not. And the superconductor research space was already dealing with some drama because some other people had previously claimed. Wait, can you just say can, the superconductor research space was already dealing with some drama? Incredible. Oh, yeah. There was already drama because there was already another like study that was like, oh, yeah, we've got the new superconductor. And it turned out it was all fake and wrong and terrible. So like people keep coming into this space because it's it's very prof- – like it's the potential for profits huge here. So everybody wants to find that superconductor and then – make lots of money. Wait, can I can I ask a really dumb question? I, I confess I have like not really followed this story because the night I sat down and was like, I'm gonna read the hell out of LK99 was the same day everybody was like, never mind, this is nothing. So I basically have not followed this story at all. Okay. And this is where I ask a very dumb question about superconductors, which is like, let's say in theory, this had been the thing that some of these people thought it was. So what? Like, why did this become such a like real world excitement phenomenon so fast? I think the, the the big thing for superconductors and, and where it would be really powerful is like right now superconductors are used in a lot of uh, power plants and stuff like that. But if you can get a cheap, super reliable superconductor, which if this had been one, would have ticked those boxes, right? It would have been cheap. It would have been easy to produce. If you can do that, then you can conceivably make like electric cars, anything that runs on power, just way more efficient because it's able to move that with and and without like as much heat and stuff like that. It's 
super efficiently. So instead, in theory of doing what we do with silicon now, which is only a semiconductor, you could do it much better with a superconductor. Right. You could do uh, it so, so much better. And and so, like, it would just make things way faster. It would make things way less power hungry. Like, it would be, in a lot of ways, magic. Yeah. But I just want to give you this quote from our piece, which is, if you start with a rock, you end up with a rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this was the thing, what I didn't get about the Twitter side of this was how so many people were like, this is crazy. It's so cool. And then they'd go talk to researchers and researchers were like, we're skeptical. And they're like, you're in the pocket of somebody. You hate science. And it's like. Yeah. This is what I mean about Twitter, like the broken blue check version of Twitter that we have now, like is made for hype cycles. Yeah. And it. Every kind of like crypto scammer, AI thread boy had a moment with LK99 and the media is so organized around having Twitter be its assignment editor that this obviously fake thing like ended up everywhere. Like we wrote about it because there was so much interest in it. Yeah, we we weren't going to write it. Like we we talked about this when it first popped off and we were like, oh, we're not going to write about it because there because all of the reasons that I talked about, which was didn't seem right. reliable and everything else. But then so many people were writing about it. We were like, okay, well, we have to like explain how this is all incorrect and they're wrong and that this isn't a big deal, which is the, a bummer of a story to write. Yeah, I'm going to quote. Michael Norman, Distinguished Fellow and former Director of Material Science Division at the Argonne National Laboratory. When you start with a rock, chances are you will end up with a rock. That's awesome. It's a, it's a, it's a rock. But it's just like, to me, the thing was, I mean, it's interesting to capture the imagination. You love capturing. It's like every so often, I remember early in my Engadget tenure, tenure as like a baby blogger, uh, someone had claimed to have invented a perpetual motion machine. And like. <laughs> but like, you know, they were going to like hold a video demonstration and they called in the thing. And like, we were like, I was just like, guys, this is bullshit. Like, look at it. And there was this answer, which I still think about all the time, which is the audience is interested and it's a service to go and ask the questions and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, but we can just answer the questions now. <laughs> <laughs> like it's definitely not gonna work. I'm just saying it's bullshit. <laughs> it, it didn't work in the end. Uh surprise. But it's just like this cycle. But because Twitter is in the middle of it, like the idea that something has gone viral on Twitter still carries meaning in the world, even though the the, the meaning is sort of divorced from the mechanics of Twitter. Yeah. And so it's like, oh yeah, like a bunch of like grifters started doing threads about what it means for there to be a room temperature superconductor. And without ever verifying that there was a room temperature superconductor, and then everybody wrote about it because everyone was excited, including our audience, who basically asked us to write about it. Yeah, it makes me think of all the TikTok trends that like parents and schools get terrified about that weren't actually trends, but it was just like one person made a video, and then some person made a video warning you about the video, and then everybody latched onto that, yeah. and it's like this was never actually a thing that kids were doing, but now we're afraid <laughs> of the thing that kids aren't doing. If you it's go like, to the original this video, cycle is bad news. Yeah. It's the, it's the, I call it the local news cycle. Once when I, as a child in Wisconsin, the local news once reported that kids were getting high by drinking too much water, which is a real thing that you can do. I have since learned. And my mom was like, how much water have you been drinking? And I was like, not enough, bro. It's, I've been drinking a lot of Miller Lite. Like, <laughs> yeah, she's not worried about that though. The water's the problem. <laughs> Anyhow, um, I've got a quick update on the Mr. B situation. Uh, you recall last week. Mr. B sued the company that was doing his ghost kitchens for Mr. Beast burgers, trying to get out of the contract because there was no quality control. Surprise. Uh, they have now sued him back for $100 million. 
saying that he's gotten yeah. more value out of them and he's become more famous because of the burgers. I don't know, man. I just that that's your lightning round update. I think Mr. Beast versus the burger company is it's like the pinnacle of influencer culture in a way. It it is directly related to like the there are a lot of thread boys threading on the tweets about how Mr. Beast Burger was like the future of dining. Oh yeah. All of those people should be forced to apologize. <laughs> Here's my theory. If you were a thread person on Twitter doing threads like that, and then you want to join Instagram threads, Instagram should enforce that you have to post 50 apologies <laughs> first. And eat 50 Beast Burgers. <laughs> eat 50. You have to do a Beast Burger challenge. <laughs> for, if you have ever written a one of 99 Twitter thread about how Mr. Beast Burger was the future of dining, I think I think you should have your platform credentials revoked until you eat 50 Beast Burgers. I like it. I will say, listen, I'm not a lawyer, but the the idea that Mr. Beast is only famous because of the burgers does not make a lot of sense to me. It does not fly. (laughs) It's also, by the way, his actual work, it is clear he cares a lot about the quality of his actual work. Yep. Like a Mr. Beast video is like a rigorously edited jewel of a thing. Yeah. And it's like, you can see why he's pissed the burgers are wrong. (laughs) It's just like very obvious. (laughs) Anyhow, all right, Dave, what's yours? Uh, Mine is just a small threads update, uh, which is a very cool little thing that happened where you can now use your Mastodon profile and your threads profile essentially as verification systems. So you you can go to Mastodon and say, you know, my threads account is this, and then actually use your threads account to verify that, which at a very small level is like, it doesn't matter. It's like a teeny tiny feature, but it is an Instagram. People have been saying this is the first sort of meaningful step threads has made into like the activity pub, decentralized social media world. And yeah, we've said a bunch of times, like there are lots of reasons to believe threads will never decentralize in the way that it has promised. But the people who are building the thing continue to loudly say they are going to do it. And this was sort of the first like real world instantiation of that. And I think that's very exciting. Yeah. And it's cool. I mean, it is like a very little thing, but it is true that threads engineers were posting, like, hope you believe us. Like we're taking these baby steps. They were so proud about it. It just makes me happy that like how excited people were for it. I'm not excited for it, but everyone was so just pumped. I don't care. <laughs> but everybody else was so pumped. So I just want to say, by the way, that the, every time I write about this stuff or talk about it on a show like this, the overwhelming response is, People don't care about decentralized platforms. That's not how you win user experience, blah, 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 blah. And that's a stupid argument. (laughs) People didn't care about anything until they realized why it was cool and started using it. That's how things work. (laughs) Uh, And in this case, like, I I will continue to plead loudly that decentralized social media is a good idea and we should pursue it. And you should care as a person because it will make better products and a better internet. Uh, and my number one goal in life is to convince random strangers that decentralized social media is a concept they should care about. So I, here well, I am. No, it's, I'll give you the, I'll just flip that around. These clowns forced us to care about crypto. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like they, yeah. the money that flowed into that ecosystem to try to force us to care about it. And we, to the verge and the verge cast audience by and large was like, don't care about this, like fully rejected. But it's weird that 
because there's not that much money in this system, the people are like, no one will ever care about this. And like, I just, it's, the things are not user experiences. The things are the things that enable other people to make products and services that compete, which is the thing that we care about yeah. the most. It's like it's like the moment that the open web started to beat AOL, there were probably a of people who were like, who cares, everybody's on AOL. And it's like, no, this other thing is better. Yeah. <laughs> and like, give me a minute and I'll prove it to you. And like, that's how I feel about the future of social stuff right now. And at the end of the day, Twitter is going to buy Time Warner. <laughs> <laughs> That's the final form of Twitter is they're also going to own Batman for some reason. All right. The last one we got, you know, I had to end here. Yeah. It feels right. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's a new EV Escalade. It's called the Escalade IQ. I love it. It is so expensive. It's $130,000, but it is hot. It's, and it's, it's the biggest it's car I've ever seen. Car. It's ridiculous. It's so big. It's not as big as the Escalade ESV. It's not as big as the biggest Escalade, but it's still huge. It's bigger than a regular Escalade. Um, three rows, beautiful, 450 miles of range, mostly because the battery is the size of a Sherman tank. It has a crab walk mode oh, yeah. that the Hummer EV has, so it can like, go sideways. It, the thing's cool, $130,000. I sent a photo of it uh, to Becky with just the words, hear me out, and she wrote, that's hot. Oh, congratulations. That's good, right? <laughs> I was like, what if we sell everything and buy an EV Escalade? Uh, she was like, I'll think about it. It's hot. Go look at pictures. GM, they've been saying this was going to happen. No CarPlay. Huge screens on the inside. Mm -hmm. The inside of this car looks hot. It's like wall-to-wall screens. It's a 55-inch screen across. Yeah, it's an LED LCD that wraps around. The sort of climate cluster is another screen. In the back, there's a third screen. Screens for days. And they're saying no CarPlay or Android Auto. Again, they said this was going to happen ages ago. No one believed them. Here's the new Escalade, and they've done it. Now, importantly... Google built in, so you get Google Maps, you get Google, all the stuff that you might want off a phone, but no Android or CarPlay. I don't know if this is a good idea. I haven't used it, haven't seen the car, many questions. But this is the moment when big car makers say, when Cadillac says, you know what, you're going to buy an Escalade with or without CarPlay. Also, probably you're in the backseat of this Escalade, so it doesn't matter. But like they're they're betting people are going to buy Escalades without CarPlay. Because what they want is an Escalade. Okay, Neela, you are obligated by law to think this is a good idea. So congratulations. Uh, <laughs> what I would just say is I know I came back to the show and said that I, I agree that CarPlay is bad. But the thing is I'm looking at the picture of this screen right now. And it, it essentially, if I can describe it, it basically, the, the photo I've seen here in our piece looks like sort of three distinct sides. One side shows like nav and car information. The middle is kind of classic infotainment. And on the right is, I don't know, like a 15-inch across screen that just has seven icons. Like, this this is what we're doing with our screens. Like, here's seven icons. This is awful. This is the worst UI design I've ever seen in my life. Oh, no, you, you no, no, no. So you're looking at that. That's like a menu screen. So I, I think, again, I have not seen this car. So the screen all the way on the right is in front of the passenger, and that is basically a TV. A really skinny candy bar television. Yeah, so it's, it's a really weird TV. With It looks like it's got HDMI input. It does have. I have one of these in my car. So we have a Jeep with a passenger screen. It has a, it has a filter HDMI? on the front of it, so you can't see it from the driver's seat. And it has HDMI in and some apps. Great. Like. Uh, we've we, I've used it once to stream a football game to that thing, and the entire time I just told 
my wife that I was watching football and she's like, I don't care. You often do that on your phone anyway. But I was like, now it's in the car. Like, yeah. But that's what that thing over there in front of the passenger is, is this belief the car industry has that passengers want a dedicated screen that play, that is a TV. Well, it's a dedicated screen for them to put ads on, yeah. which is all fine and good. I'm just saying the software design here is garbage. Yeah, the UI's ugly. Yeah, I mean, again, we have not seen the thing. So I don't know what mode that is in, but you're right. You've got a thing that is a cluster all the way on the left. Like, that's the instrument cluster. You've got your standard infotainment, and then there's a set of new ideas on the right of the car that honestly no one in the car industry has figured out, but there should be a screen in front of the passenger that is a TV. You just watch. It's it's coming to all the cars. And there's another screen right in front of the gear shifter. Like, this is this is just... That's the that's the weird, crazy info. That's the climate control and... Because uh, you don't have that in the other 55 inches. I just worry about these... Nope. Freezing. Right. So, like, here's what we don't know: Is this fast? Is it responsive? Is the interface good? David thinks the interface is bad. What I, we we have spent but a few minutes looking at this thing. Uh, my point is, GM's position, and I guarantee you, many, many more car makers' position over time is going to be: We are not letting Apple take over the user experience of our vehicles. And we think, in particular, I think GM thinks with the Escalade. The people will buy Escalades even without CarPlay and Android Auto because it has Google Maps, which is the thing that people care about the most. And that's going to be that Rivian is already there. Tesla has been there forever. And I think they're, they're basically looking at what people are doing on these phone apps uh, or on these phone projection systems and saying, you know what? By and large, they are running Google Maps. So if we just sign the deal with Google and run Google Maps on our thing, yep, we can run ads on the weird Hulu integration over on the right. Yes, we can like you know, as EV charging networks, blah, 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 we can like monitor the cars better. We can do telemetry, can sell your data, all that stuff that seems kind of gross. But fundamentally they're saying, look, what you want out of this is Google Maps. And we've signed the deal with Google to give you Google Maps. And Google is waiting there with open arms. I don't think that theory is wrong. I just don't think there is any evidence in the history of cars that says car makers can make good software. <laughs> or the history of TVs. Like this is the exact same thing TVs have done. TVs have been doing this for ages. They're like, we're going to do it. Samsung ties in. And then you go buy an Apple TV and you plug it in and you go away. And you just can't do that with this because I guess you plug your it into the HDMI port. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can just plug your phone into the HDMI port and run off your phone. But only on that screen that but. the passenger gets. We'll see. It's a $130,000 <laughs> EV Escalade. Like, <laughs> The risk profile for this car is very low. I think the people who are going to spend $130,000 on EV Escalade have people who use their phones for them. Fair. That's going to be you someday, Neil. That's my dream. <laughs> yeah. We're going to get the Becky review of this <laughs> car someday. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be great. All right. That's it. David, you have a new newsletter. Oh, yeah. What's going on if you're listening to this on Friday, uh, you have one day to sign up. It's called Installer, and the idea was basically to just take all of the cool stuff on the internet and put it all into one place. It's like there's like new apps every week, there's new stuff to watch, there's new games to play, there's new like cool creators coming out all the time. And uh, I spend a lot of time just like pouring this stuff into like random documents and never doing anything with them. And I was like, I am going to do better at 
finding new stuff. And I've been asking people to send stuff in solidarththeverge.com. Anytime you see anything cool anywhere on the internet, send it to me. I've already gotten a ton of really fun stuff. There's a lot of really fun stuff in the first issue. You can read it on the site every Sunday, but you can also subscribe and get it in your inbox every Saturday. And we're gonna do lots of things like have beta invites and access to cool stuff and like giveaways and stuff. So it's a it's a big advantage to be a day early. Uh, it's theverge.com slash installer. Uh, I think that the first issue is really fun and I hope it will be forever. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Neelai's in the first issue. I made Neelai send me his home screen and tell me about all the truly unhinged apps that he seems to use every day. <laughs> so if you want to know what Neelai's phone looks like, check it out. I do not know why Spotify's <laughs> and Apple Music. For, I took that screenshot. I was like, why is this here? Uncurated to the extreme. All right, uh, one more thing. Uh, we're doing cybersecurity questions on the Wednesday show, yep. right, David? Give us a call, 866-VERGE-11 with your cybersecurity questions. I'm having a lot of fun doing reader feedback this summer. One question I have for all of you, also let us know if, if you like it. If you like it when we're reading the emails and doing the voicemails, that would be really useful. We are having fun. I just want to make sure you think it's a good part of the show. Let us know. Also, if you've ever had a meaningful 5G experience, I it's driving bonkers. All right, that's it. That's the Virgast. Rock and roll. And that's a wrap for Vergecast this week. We'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email at vergecast at theverge.com. The Vergecast is a production of The Verge and the Vox Media Podcast Network. The show is produced by me, Liam James, and our senior audio director, Andrew Marino. Our editorial director is Brooke Minters. That's it. We'll see you next week.